Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Sailors, and welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Today, as it is every week, time to jump in to the NRL Weekly Preview, getting very close to the end of the season as well. This is the NRL Round 21 Preview, a look at all eight games of the round, and of course, a prediction at the end of each preview as well. The finals race is well and truly heating up, We've got the Dragons in 11th who are only just holding on to hope that they can qualify for the finals. You've got the Seagulls who, coming off a freaking ridiculous week, they are in 10th place, one win out of the top eight. You've got the 9th place Raiders who are equal with the 8th place Roosters. Bots to go down this weekend, of course. You've got Rabbitohs in 7th and then, of course, a very hectic battle for top four spots between the Eels, Broncos, Storm, Sharks, and the Cowboys, with Cowboys on 30 points, Storm, Broncos, Eels on 26. So it looks like North Queensland are going to shore up a spot in that top four. Cronulla Sharks as well, they look like they've got the edge in terms of finishing the year in the top four, but there are definitely some movements still to be made. Eight games to go in this round 20 preview, so look, no time to waste, let's get amongst it. Alright, let's kick things off with our Thursday night game, taking place at the Sydney Cricket Ground as the 8th place Sydney Roosters host the 5th placed Brisbane Broncos. This is a massive way to kick off the round, could potentially see these two sides playing against each other come the final series. So it's a good test to see exactly where they're at up against each other and just such a great way to kick off the round. Four points separate these two. So for the Roosters, a win here would bridge the gap. That would put them only one win behind the Broncos and it would give them a real chance of trying to move higher than that eighth spot, which at the moment that's where they're sitting. Last couple of weeks, they had to fight their way into the top eight. And now that they are there, the goal has to be to climb higher up on that ladder. Last up, Broncos had that shock loss to the West Tigers. They would have remained in the top four had they won. Oh, gee. Talk about a gust of wind. Fucking hell. I think you heard that. If you didn't hear that, sorry. Um, But yeah, the Broncos, shock loss to the Tigers. And I will preface this preview by saying... I only saw bits and pieces of the action over the weekend. Um, For some fucking ridiculous reason, I was rostered on to work until midnight on Friday night. So I didn't get to see the Friday clashes. Saw bits and pieces of the Saturday. Um, But yeah, the way that my work was scheduled, it kind of meant that I had to make up time on the Saturday for my UFC podcast as well as some NRL stuff. So... I actually didn't get to see a few of the games, including that Broncos shock loss to the Tigers. But full credit to Wests, and for Brisbane, that is a really untimely loss, given that there are sides below them playing some great footy, 
Sydney Roosters included in that. Last up, Roosters toppled an undermanned Sea Eagles. That is three straight wins for the Roosters as they start to piece things together from what has been a rather ordinary year by their lofty standards. Checking out the team news, Lindsay Collins and Egan Butcher are out for the Roosters. This sees Matt Lodge move into the starting side and we see Terrell May and Ben Thomas on the bench. For the Broncos, Patrick Carrigan suspended for four games for a tackle that ended the season of Jackson Hastings. Now, as I said, I didn't get to see heaps of the footy over the weekend, one of the rare weekends where I'm not glued to the fucking couch. But I did see a replay of this. Four games, definitely fair. I mean, you ended someone's season. So even if it was five or six weeks, potentially. But massive loss for the Broncos. Patrick Carrigan now suspended until right before the finals. This sees Kobe Hetherington move into the starting lock position. And we also see Selwyn Cobbo back on the Broncos team list. After just taking some time to recover from a concussion, I really liked that from the Broncos, not rushing him back in, giving him time, because this kid is a star of the future. You gotta look after him sometimes, especially with things like concussion, which we've really seen a prevalence in the last few years, that concussions can be career ending. So I like that Selwyn Coppo rested, but he now makes his return this Thursday night. Jumping into the talking points, and rumors are swirling, Titans, who I've been saying for months, need to sign an established number nine, someone that can move the needle. Well, it seems as though Sam Verrills from the Roosters is going to be that guy. A lot of talk, Sam Verrills off to the Titans next year. He's a premiership winning hooker. I really like that move from the Gold Coast Titans. And for the Roosters, it's a decent loss. Obviously, they're going to put Brandon Smith in that starting nine jersey. But Verrills, he's a really quality player. So that is a shame for Roosters fans to be losing him. But he's a premiership winning dummy half. Like, I think he's proven that he's ready to take the game on. He doesn't need to be stuck behind someone else in the pecking order. I, I think he's fully capable of being a number one first choice dummy half. So Verrills to the Titans, that looks like that is a go. And the Roosters, they are fighting to hold on to their spot in the top eight. If they lose here and the Raiders are to win this weekend, well, all of a sudden, Roosters fall out of the top eight. Same goes if Roosters lose here and then we see Seagulls and Dragons pick up wins. Well, then they're all on equal points. So for the Roosters, there is the possibility of them moving their way up the ladder, but ultimately they need to first and foremost focus on making the top eight altogether. As for the Broncos, that loss last weekend really hurt them. They've been in top four contention pretty much all year. I mean, it wasn't like the greatest hot start. They did win a few to start the season, but no one was really thinking it was going to be sustainable. Here the Broncos are. Round 21 in fifth space. Space? Well, new English created on the podcast, as always. But yeah, Broncos, they've got top four ambitions. A loss here, and all of a sudden, they could finish, you know, they could finish eighth. That is a possibility if they have a poor start, uh, poor finish, rather, to the season. But a win here for Brisbane, and they are right back in the mix for a top four finish. 
That would be a massive turnaround given everything we've seen from Brisbane in the last couple of years. And yeah, top four. That's on the cards for the Broncos. So this is a crucial game, not just for Brisbane, but of course for the Roosters as well. You've got Trent Robinson, a premiership winner, a master coach, one of the greatest we've seen, not just in the current era, potentially all time. I'm not saying he's the greatest of all time, but he's certainly starting to build a case to be in the conversation for all-time great coaches. Then you look at Kevy Walters, who's really starting to make his mark as the coach of Brisbane after his second year, got off to a flying start. Now, obviously, the first year didn't go so well. There was a hell of a lot of pressure on Kevy coming into this season, and he's turned it around. This man knows the Broncos' DNA. He knows what it takes for this club to be successful, and he's implemented it so well. Obviously, given Ben Eichen and you've got other influences that have made a massive difference, but I am so happy to see Kevin Walters thriving as the coach of the Broncos. For my key battle, I've gone with the wingers in this one. Now, there are a few different battles across the park that do intrigue me, uh, but I've actually gone with the wingers, not just for their meterage, but I also think all of them can finish a try. And yeah, I really like the head-to-head -head battles. On one side, you've got Corey Oates, who this year has been in such great form that he has worked his way back into the Origin Arena, was part of a famous Queensland Origin win, and he's taking on Joseph Suwali, who is yet to crack Origin, was part of the extended squad, but this young man is absolutely destined for the Origin Arena. You've got Oates, who is having an absolute redemption arc of a season, and you've got Suwali for the Roosters, who we haven't even seen him come close to his peak. He's like 18, for goodness sake. So Suwali and Oates, that's a battle I'm really keen to see. And on the other side, you've got the returning Selwyn Cobbo taking on the experienced, ever so consistent Daniel Tupo. So a couple of fun battles. You've got really bright young stars who look like they're going to be origin players and international players for the next decade, and opposing them, you've got two really experienced wingers, both who've played in grand finals, both who've played in the Origin Arena, in Daniel Tupo and Corey Oates. Key battle in this one, really keen to see the wingers go at it. As for my MVP, most valuable player, I'm going with Payne Haas. I think the loss of Patrick Carrigan cannot be understated that's definitely going to leave a huge void in the middle for Brisbane. But if there's one guy we know who is capable of stepping up and really challenging the Roosters up front, that's none other than Payne Haas. Now, what happens in his future? We don't know. Obviously, there was the release request a little bit earlier in the year. But now, we haven't really heard anything on that front. Seems like he's got his Broncos hat on and is fully focused on the season. That's scary for Roosters fans and most valuable player. I've gone with Payne Haas, and I think we all know why. This kid is a fucking beast. Point of difference in this one? I've gone with Victor Radley. Like I mentioned, Patrick Carrigan, an understated loss for the Broncos. And whilst Kobe Hetherington, really quality player in the middle, I think that point of difference for the Roosters is going to be having someone like Victor Radley, who's a huge part of linking the middle of the field. He keeps his halves linked as well. Great ball playing middle. 
ferocious in defense, and he's a hard man to tackle as well. So I think with Patrick Carrigan being out, a major point of difference in this one is going to be Victor Radley in that 13 jersey. And look, Broncos, they are a danger side for the Roosters. Even last year when they were traveling pretty average, very average, they managed to beat the Roosters. So I'm really intrigued. Broncos obviously now a much better side. And the Roosters, you could argue, not as good as they were last year. Some really key losses across the park. That does make Brisbane a danger side for the Roosters. But ultimately, prediction-wise, I'm going to stick with the Roosters here. I like what I've seen from them. I think they're starting to hit their strides. And I was a little bit concerned seeing the result of the Broncos and Tigers game. So in this one, I'm taking Sydney Roosters over the Broncos on Thursday night. I do think Brisbane are a danger side, but I point to my point of difference, which Victor Radley in the middle, I think he's going to be in for a huge game. You've got Luke Carey back on deck, starting to warm up as the final series approaches. You've got someone like Joey Manu, who's going head-to-head with one of the brightest young stars in the game, Dean Mariner. But of course, this is only Dean's second game of first grade up against someone the caliber of Joey Manu. So I think in some of these little matchups, Sydney will be able to get the edge. And ultimately, I'm taking Roosters over the Broncos. Definitely going to be a shakeup no matter what the result in terms of the ladder. But now, that's the Thursday night game. Let's turn our focus to the Friday night action. Friday game, Amy Park in Melbourne. We have got the fourth placed Melbourne Storm hosting the last placed Gold Coast Titans. Titans coming off their ninth consecutive loss against the Raiders. I don't even know what to say at this point. Now, Titans, no team has been my cause for concern more this season, but now it's starting to go beyond a cause for concern. And this is straight up like, what the fuck is going on? I have no idea how a side with so much promise, so many great young stars, and some established forwards can lose nine consecutive games, can go from making the finals the last two seasons to being, hands down, the worst side in the competition. Don't know what's going wrong for the Titans, but it's not going to get any easier as they take on the Storm, who are coming off the win in Auckland over the Warriors, That bringing to end a three-game skid for Melbourne, and they really needed that win just to alleviate some of that outside pressure. Onto the team news, we see the hectic cheese. Brandon Smith, he's back on the bench after cursing out the refs. All's forgiven, he's back on deck, lessons learned. Some other big changes, Nick Meany is out. He's their fullback now, given that Ryan Pappenhausen out for the season. This sees the ultimate utility, Tyrone Wishart, shift to fullback, and David Nofaluma on loan from the Tigers. He is straight in, wasting no time to get David on board. Justin Olam is out with COVID as well, so we see Grant Anderson move into the centres. What a backline. I mean, if you look at what their first choice backline was at the start of the season, you had their back five of Pappenhausen, George Jennings, Xavier Coates, Olam, and Remus Smith. 
none of those guys available this weekend. Obviously, you've got Pappenhausen out for the season. George Jennings was injured in the first game of the season. He's been out all year. Xavier Coates has been out since Origin 1. Remus Smith out for the season. And now they've even got Justin Olam unavailable. This, it's pretty loose to see the storm ravage like this. And now it is going to be intriguing as to how they perform up against the Titans. Speaking of the Titans, they've named Jaden Campbell at fullback, which sees AJ Brimson shift to 5'8", Tana Boyd to halfback, and the young half Toby Sexton has been rested for this one. Also seeing Greg Marziu on the bench for the Titans. And yeah, hopefully these changes can help them out a little bit because yeah, they're not... They're looking more than not good. They're looking full shit the bed level, I have to say. Now, as for talking points, the main talking point I've already discussed, that is the Titans' season. How has it gone so wrong? I genuinely don't know. The Titans now find themselves as the wooden spoon favourites. And yeah, I, I can't see a way out for them. But then you have the Storm, and their depth has been ravaged. So... This is actually a chance for the Titans to stand up and make a statement. Do I think they're going to do that? Probably not. But for the Storm, what they need to work out is their own game. They don't really need to worry about the Titans. Obviously, they have to respect them and they have to prepare as though this is going to be the best version of the Gold Coast Titans. But for the Storm, they do not have much time to gel before finals. I think for them... This is going to be a real chance to kind of start getting some fluidity in their plays and in their combinations, just given how many changes we've seen across the season. Melbourne, though, they sit in fourth spot. They are still in the hunt for the top four. And yeah, a win here, and it really increases that likelihood of them finishing in the top four. That mainly based off their strong start to the season. Of course, this final third of the season has probably been the poorest part for them. Reasons for that as well, obviously injuries, suspensions, everything that's been going on. But for Melbourne Storm, every year is a premiership year. So they're not going to be wasting any time. They're not going to be making excuses. They know where they need to finish. And to do so, they're going to need a win over the Titans this weekend. In what is going to be an uber difficult road trip for the Gold Coast side. You've got Craig Bellamy. He is so experienced. Again, one of the greatest of all time. And yeah, he knows at least a rough idea of how to get his side out. Now, we have seen some kind of signs that maybe this is the first time where he's kind of just having to come up with some answers and that he's being tested in a way that he never has before. So for Craig Bellamy, he's navigating a new territory, whereas for Justin Holbrook, he's just trying to navigate saving his job. That sucks as well. I'm a huge fan of Justin Holbrook. I really liked the appointment when he was named the Gold Coast's coach, but nine consecutive losses, a tenth, and yeah, like each passing week, it looks less and less likely that Holbrook is going to coach them next year. And I hope that's wrong, because I'm a big Justin Holbrook fan. Hopefully they keep him on. And there has been news about Shane Flanagan potentially being signed as an assistant from next year. 
Obviously, Jim Dimmick walking out the door after being told he won't be retained. So interesting there. Um, maybe and hopefully Flanagan is there to offer some support for Holbrook. But, I mean, if you've got a premiership-winning coach underneath you and the side's not performing, all of a sudden you may just see Shane Flanagan nab that head coaching job. Crucial, crucial outing for Justin Holbrook. Look, they may not get the win here, but they've been showing signs of improvement and they really need to continue that because if they start to regress again, it could get really, really ugly. And that, that's on the back of a very ugly season already. Anyway, enough about this grim Gold Coast Titans chat. Let's get into the key battle for this one. I've got two Queenslanders, Cameron Munster up against AJ Brimson. Munster, we already know how good he is. We already know exactly what he can offer. And for AJ Brimson, there's potential. He's got Munster-like tendencies. I think if Brimson came through the Melbourne Storm system, he would be way, way beyond where he's at now. Um, but yeah, AJ Brimson, he's an X-Factor player for the Titans, and this is my key battle. But I think Munster's got this one, because if there's no go forward for Brimson, he's not going to have a lot of opportunities. And we know that the Melbourne Storm pack, they like to target these halves in defense. So I think there's going to be a lot of traffic coming the way of AJ Brimson. And for Cameron Munster... I think he's really in for a big game here as we approach the final series. Most valuable player. I've gone Tino for Suomela Awe. This is one Titans player who you cannot fault his effort. All year he's been outstanding. Just a shame the guys around him haven't been doing the same. Point of difference. Harry Grant, Brandon Smith. Hectic cheese back in action. And that one-two punch is lethal. There are no sides in the competition that have run the ball more from acting half this season than the Melbourne Storm. And Harry Grant, we know how good he is. Then if he gets a little bit tired, you throw Brandon Smith on, who himself is an elite dummy half, hence why he was a marquee signing for the Roosters. That one-two punch is lethal, and I think it's going to cause the Gold Coast some serious issues. In my opinion, Storm are going to surely be too good for this one, I'm going to take the Melbourne Storm over the Gold Coast Titans. Hopefully for Gold Coast, it's not a blowout. And I still do have some questions surrounding the Storm that are yet to be answered, given that their three-game losing slide against quality teams, that was a bit concerning. And since then, they've beaten the Warriors, who they are the side I support, and I respectfully say, like, woohoo, you beat the Warriors, like... I can join the club of just about every other team in the competition. Titans kind of that same vibe as well. It's not like a win here over the Titans is going to change my mind about the Storm, who, no doubt, still premiership contenders. They're going to struggle, given their depth and how many injuries and outs they have, but they are still premiership contenders. Questions still need to be answered, though. I'm not going to get many answers here in this Titans game, but they do have some tough games coming up. So Storm over the Gold Coast Titans. I don't think it'll be super easy, but once Melbourne find their feet, I think the Titans, as they have all year, will end up shitting the bed on the way to their 10th consecutive loss. Double digits, not a milestone to celebrate. 
Storm over the Titans, and of course, don't forget this Sunday after the round, NRL Power Hour, I will be going through all of the games, the results, and I will have watched every game this time. And yeah, we'll have a bit of hindsight, a bit of accountability for everything I spoke about in this preview podcast. Speaking of the preview podcast, if you've been enjoying it, don't forget to give us a follow over on Instagram at Not Just a Sports Report. Plenty of stuff going on there, and I've got a few projects in the works which I think will be really fun and exclusive to the Instagram page. Of course, as well, follow us on whatever podcast platform you are listening on. You'll be able to see every week when the NRL preview is out, and you'll also be able to see on Sunday when the NRL Power podcast is out. Enough about my plugs, though. Let's get back to the action with our Friday night game. Friday night action from Four Pines Park. Thankfully, no players standing down due to the park being named after an alcohol sponsor. So we've got some full strength lineups for what should be an epic contest. 10th placed Seagulls, still a chance of playing finals footy this year, hosting their rivals, the 6th placed Parramatta Eels, in what is going to be a huge game for the makeup of the finals landscape. Now, we've seen the manly fallout from last week. If you don't know what happened last week, like, I'm not gonna... I don't have the time or energy, for goodness sake. I still gotta go to work tonight. I, I can't be expending all my energy on last week. So, huge game. There's the fallout from manly. A team potentially divided, given that there is news that there might be some players within those Seagulls ranks who were pretty pissed off that their teammates decided they were going to stand down and not play. Now, of course, religious grounds are to be fully respected. And as I said on the podcast last week, I respect their decision. I don't agree with it, but I respected their decision. And in the name of inclusivity, how can I be, you know, an ally for one side and then exclude the other side. That kind of goes against the whole point of being inclusive. But at the same time, there was a story, and of course, everything on the internet, every story ever posted, true, it's true. Um, I read that the Seagulls, one unnamed Seagulls player, which that's always a red flag when you've got players coming out under an anonymous guise, talking some shit, Uh, But they're saying, yeah, pretty disappointed in the teammates that didn't play in the most crucial game of the season. And one comment which I found really interesting was that this player felt as though, you know, you've got players who don't really practice what they quite literally preach. So they said, these guys don't really act like practicing Christians and whatnot during the week but they decided for one particular thing to take a stand. So I did find that interesting. Um, Yeah, I'm not really going to go further into that. I would rather not start a hectic debate. But yeah, the Seagulls side, there is a divide there. How big is it? We don't know. These guys are teammates. And look, I have friends that have different views to me. I think part of it, you've got to learn to work together, to coexist. 
Now, that's not always the case. Sometimes there are views where it's just like, no, no. But for this case, I just think some education on both sides. Like, as I said, I fully disagree with the seven that stood down. I thought it was really poor. But at the same time, the religious context is something that is an element of it. So there not only needs to be education to those seven players as to the importance of something like a pride jersey, but I think also some education for those players that did play and maybe are a bit upset as to exactly why these Manly Seagulls players did stand down and the importance of their religion. So a lot of discussions to be had. I'm fucking not there. I don't want to be part of these discussions. It's hectic. It's a drainer of energy. And I've already said my piece last week, said my piece here again. But yeah, the divide between the seagulls, definitely a talking point. As for the eels, well, this is a side that when they should win, they lose. And then when they're supposed to lose, they win. So I really don't know what's going to happen in this game. What I do know is last weekend's results where Manly, all week on the front page of the news, they went down 20 to 10 up against the Roosters. And for the Eels, they beat the Panthers again. They beat the Panthers again. Only one side has beaten the Panthers, and that is the Eels. They've done it twice. So I think we can fairly say, as I've been saying all year, Parramatta are premiership contenders, but another thing I've also said, I don't think they can win the premiership from 7th or 8th, so they really need to finish the season strong. Going to be tough as well, because looking at the team news, Mitchell Moses is out, their most important player, no doubt. He is a huge part of why I see the Eels as a potential premiership threat. Now with Mitchell Moses out, that is going to be a big blow for the Eels. Although we do see Jake Arthur comes in. He starts at halfback. But there's a lot of extra pressure and a lot of extra scrutiny, given that he is the coach's son. And Parramatta fans, they're eating their own. At points, they've turned against Jake Arthur. Now, I'm sure his confidence has taken a knock. He doesn't even know whether his own fan base are behind him. And now he's been given the biggest job in the Parramatta Eels lineup, that number seven jersey, which we always see so much pressure placed on these Parramatta halves. Now, not just Mitchell Moses, who he's really been able to nail that position down, but also the likes of a Chris Sandow or anyone who's played that number seven over a variety of years, basically since Peter Sterling played. So it's a really big job for Jake Arthur as for Manly and their team, the seven players that stood down are all back, albeit Josh Schuster, 18th man. So he hasn't been named to play, but we may see Josh Schuster move into the lineup come game day. On to the talking points now, other than the obvious ones that I've already spoken about. Is Manly's season done? This game's crucial. If they lose this one, that could very well be season done. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's a big one, just like last week was. But this time, they've got a full-strength lineup. For the Eels, no Mitchell Moses, easily the biggest talking point. That sees Jake Arthur have to shoulder a huge load. 
and Dylan Brown. Well, this now becomes Dylan Brown's team, and I'm expecting him to step up big time. Huge fan of Dylan Brown. The Eels, they've still got top four aspirations. A loss here, basically, it concedes them to finishing in that lower part of the top eight. But a win? And wow, Parramatta, like, this could be huge. If they finish in the top four, I mean, imagine if week one of the finals, Penrith Panthers versus the Parramatta Eels. That is a game that sells itself. Eels, no doubt, with the top four on their mind. Whilst Manly, they are flat out just trying to scrape their way into the eight. Backs against the wall. Everyone seemingly against them. But that's just the way that Manly Seagulls like to play. So that is still a very dangerous element to this one. You've got Des Hasler, a premiership winning coach, up against Brad Arthur, who probably out of the successful coaches, cops the most criticism. Like if you're looking at top eight coaches, Brad Arthur cops a hell of a lot of criticism. And that at times is fair. Parramatta have been extremely inconsistent this year. And look, it's going to count for little. Their big wins against the... uh, They are the Eels, my bad. Their big wins against the Panthers and the Storm doesn't count for a whole lot if you're not able to scrape your way through some of those Tigers games or the Bulldogs games that they've lost. If they finish down in that lower part of the eight, I think it's going to be significantly harder for this side to make a run. As for Manly, they've only beaten one top eight side all year, an understrength Storm outfit. And yeah, whilst the flat track bully tag has been shaken, I'm still not overly convinced with this side. And that was before we'd seen all the turmoil that had taken place in this last week. Key battle in this one. I'm going with the halves. Premiership winning pair, Karen Foran and Daly Cherry Evans who now have the job of staring their side around the park, making sure that everyone is on the same page, which is big given everything that's been going on. Cherry Evans, he's going to have to organise, he's going to handle the kicking, and Foran, he's going to be that attacking threat, as well as a great defensive half. Opposing them, Dylan Brown and Jake Arthur. Arthur with a huge ask going head-to-head with Daily Cherry Evans. And for Dylan Brown... Well, now he's going to have to take on a lot more of the responsibility. Whereas for the Seagulls, I think it's shared. Whereas, like, I know Daly Cherry Evans, obviously, he's the main man. But Kieran Foran, no doubt, he is a leader in that side as well. So I think halves-wise, Seagulls should have the edge. And that's why I've gone with Daly Cherry Evans as the MVP here. He's got the experience, he's got the credentials, and the runs on the board. And now, more than ever, the Seagulls need their captain to deliver. As for my point of difference, I've gone with the Eels props, Junior Paolo and Regan Campbell-Gillard. I think they are in for a huge game, and they really need to pose that challenge to the middle pack of the Seagulls. In my opinion, I genuinely have no clue what goes down in this one, but I'm going to predict the Parramatta Eels, and not with a great level of confidence, But Seagulls, what I've seen from them up against top eight sides all year has left me far from convinced. Far from convinced about the Eels too. Whilst I think they're premiership threats, I really just don't know what to make of how inconsistent they've been. And finals, you need to win three to four games in a row 
to actually win the Premiership, Eels have shown that that's a real weak point for them. I'm not sure if they can string four wins in a row together based on what I've seen this year. However, I've got to go the Eels here. I think they're in a better position where they actually need to start thinking about the Premiership, given that we're just a few weeks away from finals. And if Parramatta are serious about winning the comp this year, which they did make a Premiership pact, well then it's time for them to get their shit together. It would be a classic Eels thing to do, to beat the Panthers and then come out the next week and lose. And I can fully see that happening here. But in a very tight one, I'm going to take the Parramatta Eels over the Manly Seagulls. Friday night action in what, again, has major top 8 implications. If Seagulls win, well, then the race is well and truly back on for them to make a run into the top 8. And for the Eels, a win here, they start pushing for top 4. And a loss, well, that just leads them back to square 1, where they've been all year, able to beat the top sides, but not able to string any kind of consistency together. I'm going to back the Eels. No confidence in this one, but Eels over Manly. Let's now get amongst the Super Saturday action. Alright, we kick off the Saturday action in a place I used to live. Beautiful part of the world, beautiful part of the country. We are headed to the Sunshine Coast to kick off Super Saturday as the 7th placed South Sunshine Coast Rabbitohs host the 13th placed Warriors. If you've listened to the podcast, you know they're my team. Uh, Warriors 13th. Kick in the ass. Just like every year. But I'm not here to mope. I'm here to jump in to Rabbitohs up against the Warriors. With the 7th placed Rabbitohs badly needing a response after their run of great significance was brought to a halt in that golden point loss up against the Sharks last weekend. As for the Warriors, they lost to the Storm, but at least it wasn't 70-10 to 10 this time. And for the Warriors outfit, they've lost 10 of their past 11 games. So, yeah, not good. Honestly, if I was to be, what's the word? Cry- cryogenically? I don't, cryogenically? I don't know. The exact word, when they freeze you for like a period of time. I think it happened with like Walt Disney. Honestly, you could have fucking froze me after the 2011 Grand Final, and you could bring me out now. And yeah, I probably would have been better for not having spent so much time investing my support and my energy into this Warriors side. But alas, ten losses in their past eleven games. As for the Rabbitohs, look. They were on a great run up until that very close loss to a third-placed Sharks outfit. Jumping into the team news, we see Jed Cartwright is out. I believe that's a hamstring issue. So that sees Tane Milne return. He'll slot back into the centres. And Tom Burgess is suspended, which sees Mark Nichols move into the 17. We also see Blake Taff. He makes his return To the side, he will be playing in that number 14 jersey. And for the Warriors, changes galore. Ewan Aitken moves to the centres, which a lot of people feel that's his best position. Although I have been really impressed with his work in the back row. Aitken into the centres sees Adam Pompey out of the side. And Chanel Harris-Tavita has been injured, so that sees 
Wade Egan, bit of a curious change, even though he did play there last week. Wade Egan named at 5'8", so we've moved our best dummy half into the halves. Curious, but what? whatever. We're 13th, like honestly. We can't finish last, at least, fingers crossed. And we're definitely not going to make the 8, so at this point, like, whatever. I'm not going to complain if Stacey Jones names himself in the number 7 jersey. But that sees Freddie Lussick. He comes into the starting dummy half role. And a lot of changes in the back row as well. Bailey Sirinan, Jack Murchie, and Aaron Penne all back on deck and all in the starting back row. That's mainly due to Jazz Tavanga being out with a season-ending injury. And we also see very promising youngster, also a dummy half, Taniela Otukolu has been named on the bench. So we've got three dummy halves rolling around in our side this weekend. Checking the talking points. And look, the Warriors, they're playing for pride at this point of the season. It's been a decade-long trend. If I had been doing this podcast for the last 10 years, I would have probably been saying about the same thing around this point of the season. So, very disappointing, and I'm not here to hate on my team. Respect, they stayed overseas, and they're trying their best. They don't want to lose, but my goodness, fucking hell is all I can really say about it. As for the Rabbitohs, well, this is a must-win game for them. They've got a really tough run home. They are not going to get an easier game than this, and I say that as a Warriors fan. Given that Bunnies run home, they have Parramatta Eels, Penrith Panthers, North Queensland Cowboys, and they finish off with the Sydney Roosters. So that's an incredibly tough draw. You've got two top four sides, You've got the Eels, who are still vying to be in the top four, as well as having wins over some of the best sides. No, scratch that. Having wins over the best sides in the competition. And then, of course, they've got their traditional rivals, the Roosters. So, not just no easy games there, but all significantly challenging games coming up after this Warriors one. As I said, the Rabbitohs are not going to get an easier chance to take the two points than this Warriors game. However, a loss to the Warriors could derail South's season, let's be real. They sit in 7th space, space, I guess we can roll with that, and look, if Warriors win, all of a sudden, the Rabbitohs become very vulnerable, potentially if they have, you know, if they drop 2 or 3 on that run home, they could fall out of the 8 altogether, so very vital game for the Bunnies. You've got Jason Demetrio, first year as head coach, up against Stacey Jones, who's basically, I don't know, have you seen that meme where the guy just slaps like a bit of duct tape over the hole on that big water tank? It's just like, yep, that'll fix it. That's, Stacey Jones is just basically the duct tape at the moment, holding this sinking ship together, making sure it doesn't explode. But we've got a new coach coming in next year. I do hope they keep Stacey Jones on the coaching staff, though. An absolute legend of the club. And yeah, I don't have any bad words to say about Stacey, who's just doing the best he can with a side low on confidence, a side low on form. And like every year, and look, this is pot calling the kettle black. I feel like a hypocrite for even saying this. But the Warriors' fitness is such an issue coming from a bloke who'll probably fucking get a stitch if he ran up to the shops. But seriously, like, the only time we looked fit 
in the last 10 years, we actually made the top eight and we had Alex Corvo on board, who he was the strength and conditioning coach for the 2006 Broncos side. There was a lot of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Praise. We'll roll with praise, but plenty of praise for Alex Corvo around his involvement in that premiership winning Broncos side. When he came to the Warriors four or five years ago now, like we looked really good. We made some changes and then supposedly, and this is a story that came out a few years ago. So again, I have no idea whether this is true, but apparently complaints from the players that they were being pushed too hard by Alex Corvo. So that is interesting. And I'm not going to discredit that statement if it was to be true. We don't know. Maybe he was absolutely flogging them beyond fairness or comprehension. But what I do know is that since Corvo's gone, we've just regressed straight back to what we were. We've got big boppers who can really pack some punch for about 20 minutes. But yeah, the fitness is such a massive issue. And that is a highlight, not just this season, but every season. So I'm really hoping Andrew Webster can be the one to nail down some consistency in that area. And for my key battle in this one, well, fitness is going to be the key. It's the middle forwards who get through as the tough work as anyone. Just got through that sentence, fucking hell. But the middle forwards are going to be crucial here. I mean, you look at the Rabbitohs, you've got the captain, Cameron Murray. He's the definition of fitness. Definition of fit, to be honest. But like he, the work he gets through is just unreal. He is a middle forward that plays like a halfback. He can bend the line. He can score a try. And just he can do it for 80 minutes. So Cameron Murray is basically... Stick a poster up of Cameron Murray on the Warriors wall and say, get, get kind of closer to this bloke's level. You've got Daniel Saluka Fafita and Tavita Totola starting up front as well. And Totola has actually been the winner of my Tough Stuff Award two weeks in a row. So he's really starting to come into his own is Tavita Tatola. Daniel Saluka Fafita, only recently arriving from the Roosters, and Cameron Murray. I think that's a pretty formidable starting middle forward combination. My English is deteriorating. Bloody hell, my apologies. Uh, just having a quick look. Just got a text. Get out of here. Get out of here. Uh, but for the Warriors, we've got Adam Fanua Blake, Torhu Harris, and Aaron Penne. Now, Torhu, he's someone whose fitness cannot be questioned. And I'd say the same for Adam Fanua Blake as well. I've actually been very impressed with the both of them, not just this year, but over their entire careers. Going to be a big ask, though. I think up front in the prop kind of department, I do think we're stronger. But then in the lock forward, Cameron Murray, he's the best in the game. So it's going to take a massive effort. And that middle battle up front is my key battle for this one. MVP, I've gone Cody Walker. He always seems to just tear us apart. No no stopping him, really. He scores tries just about every time we play him. Do consider him for an anytime try score a bet because, yeah, unfortunately, I think one year he scored like four tries against us. And yeah, Warriors just do not seem to have the answers for my MVP in this one, Cody Walker. And my point of difference, that's got to be Damian Cook. I think... Once we're on tired legs, which I did mention fitness, a major issue for the Warriors, there is no one in the game who is more poised 
to rip us apart from the ruck than Damian Cook. If he gets out of acting half, starts using his running game, and has guys like Cody Walker and Latrell Mitchell in support, well, then I am very nervous as a Warriors fan. In my opinion, I love my team. Do I think we're a chance in this one, though? To be honest, no, I don't. And I hope to be proven wrong, but I'm just going by everything I've seen over this year, and to be honest, my whole life. So I don't think we're a chance here. Shame on Souths if they lose, to be honest, because they have so much to play for, and they've been showing a lot more promising signs. So must win for Souths. I'm going with the Rabbitohs. I think it's going to be 13 plus as well. Just thinking about that. Um, yeah, I don't like to write off my team. And in the preseason predictions, I put the Warriors in fifth place, even though I didn't think we were going to make the eight. For that very reason, I wasn't going to come into the season writing my side off, talking shit before a ball had even been kicked. But now a ball has been kicked. Many balls have been kicked. And after watching the Warriors this season, feels like my balls have been kicked. It's been a fucking average season. They know that as well. So look, they're going to be out for a big win. But yeah, I just don't see it. I don't see it. We can't play for 80 minutes. Not saying that the Rabbitohs are the best team in the competition, but if they are serious about having a crack this year, like I said, they're not going to get an easier game than this one. Taking the Rabbitohs over the Warriors, making me sad to go against my team. Very grim. So now let's move on, shall we? blue sunny clear skies of the sunshine coast we now move to canberra cold old canberra home of mooseheads actually heading there this month this month now that we're in august going back uh went there in june as well so no stranger to the sunshine coast no stranger to canberra and no stranger to this weekend's game of the round round 20 and this one I'm expecting it to be heated. You've got the ninth placed Raiders, everything to play for, up against the first placed Panthers, clear favorites to take out this season at their most vulnerable point. And we thought the origin period may have been that point, but now vulnerability in the Panthers for what seems like the first time this year easily. And only a few weeks ago, I spoke about how I'm still excited for the finals race. And every one of those teams that qualify for the top eight, they are still a chance. Some more than others. Panthers a much greater chance than basically everyone. And also like, you know, second and third, fourth, way better chance than your sevenths and eighths. But anyone can do it. Like this is reality. Everything is relative. And there are things that come into play, like consistency and everything, but there is nothing to stop an eighth place side winning the competition. So I'd seen a lot of comments that were just dismissing my excitement at times for the finals. Sadness, dismissed, I was rejected, dismissed. But honestly, now it's even more exciting. The finals race has blown wide open and yes, Penrith are the clear favorites. But I am still revving to go for this final series. I mean, what if we get Parramatta up against Penrith 
Eels beating them twice this season. What if we get a Melbourne Storm at their full stride? Given, look, they're going to have outs no matter what. But if we see the Melbourne Storm really hit peak form in the next few weeks, what about Panthers Storm? I'm thinking Panthers versus Sharks. There are a whole range of really exciting games in the finals. And like I said, Panthers in first, they are the clear favourites. But even the team in eighth can do it. Enter the Canberra Raiders, currently ninth. A loss here really puts them on the back foot. But a win against the Panthers, something only the Eels have done this year, well, that sets the Canberra Raiders up very nicely. I am so pumped for this one. Game of the round, round 21, Raiders and Panthers. And let's get to the big news. Nathan Cleary, there was a tackle on Dylan Brown, I believe. He got five weeks for. As I said, I was out and about and then I had to work and do smash out the UFC podcast because of the whole working situation. So I actually didn't see the Cleary tackle, but I've gone back and looked at the replay. Five weeks for Cleary. Jerome Luai out a couple of weeks longer than that as well. All of a sudden, Panthers, yes, they still have many guns in the side. I think about a Dylan Edwards, an Isaiah Yo, a James Fisher-Harris, an Arpi Corusau. But the halves are so essential to that. You've got Yo in the middle, who is that link for both the halves. Now they're going to have to re-establish relationships with the new halves pairing. We've got Jamin Salmon and Sean O'Sullivan with Salmon playing his first game in a starting role since 2019, and that was for the Eels. So Salmon, look, he's played pretty much all season off the bench. He can play in the centres, he can play in the back row, he can play in the halves, so a very handy utility. And then you have Sean O'Sullivan, who is part of this Penrith system. He was a Panthers junior. So I think combinations-wise, it shouldn't be too bad. Salmon's actually been in and around that best 17 all year, usually wearing jersey 17. And I saw Kurt Falls, who I expected to come into the halves. He's been named in the extended reserves. So interested with that. But Jamin Salmon, Sean O'Sullivan, they will be the halves for this game. With the Panthers, that Cleary tackle, well, they were a man down against the Eels last weekend. And they lost. Eels once again beating the Panthers the only side to do so, and they've done it twice. So quite mind-blowing, if I'm honest. Now we see Jamin Salmon, Sean O'Sullivan. They are going to have to take the reins. The two big jerseys replacing Origin players, New South Wales Blues players, and it's going to be a tough ask. It is definitely going to be a tough ask. Sean O'Sullivan bound for the Dolphins next year, and he actually had been playing last year for my club, the Warriors. I was, I was happy for him. I was like, uh, you know what? You'll probably have more fun being the Panthers' next guy up, like being the third option, than you would being the Warriors' second or third option. So, I mean, good on him. Here he is at a clutch stage of the season in that number seven jersey. And to his credit, every time Sean O'Sullivan has stepped in for Cleary, he's done a phenomenal job this season. The only area I would highlight where he can be targeted is in his defense. And that's just what I've seen from watching Warriors games. But of course, the Panthers defensive line, like cohesively, a lot stronger than that of the Warriors. So I'm going to hold off and judge Sean O'Sullivan's defense 
over the next few weeks. And for the Raiders, they picked up their third straight win. They know that they pretty much just need to win every week from here. Three straight with the victory over the Titans. And they've got Jordan Rapiner back this week. So huge in. We see great young star Elbert Hopawate shift to 18th man. And for the Panthers, Stephen Crichton is back. Probably going to wear headgear given that gruesome ear injury that required plastic surgery. And of course, Penrith have the new look halves combination. The Panthers have definitely set their attention now to picking up back-to-back -back premierships. Only a few weeks of the regular season. Like now is the time. Not in the first 10 rounds and even Origin and things like that. That's not when to really think about, okay, now's the time to start putting pieces together to actually win the premiership. But now's that time. So that's where Penrith no doubt are at. The halves are a huge loss and it's definitely shaken this competition up. The race being blown wide open. No longer, in many respects, a one horse, or I guess in a Panthers case, one cat race. Then you have the Raiders, who are a potential dark horse, and they are my second team. I've grown up supporting them. I don't think they could make a run all the way, just based on what I've seen, but they can definitely challenge a few teams, and they can, they can win games. I just don't think they'd be able to win all the way through. But I did say earlier, even the eighth uh, place side can do it. And Canberra, it's been a transition period for them. It's been a time where they've brought in some really great young stars and started to establish them as first graders. And we've seen this big contingent that the Raiders had been so reliant on. The likes of Josh Hodgson out for the season, off to the Eels. Jared Croker just injuries and career potentially in jeopardy. You have someone like a George Williams who left midway through last year. Huge loss for the club. They ended up getting Jamal Fogarty. He was out for the first four months. So they had to rely on young guys like Brad Schneider and some experienced replacements in Matt Frawley. So they've brought guys through. Then you've seen the emergence of Joe Tarpanay as well, where I'm just seeing... You know, the Raiders, some guys, like that English contingent, even you mentioned like a John Bateman, Ryan Sutton leaving as well. They're all, it's kind of moving in a different direction now. And they've got some amazing young talent. And that kind of seems like the key. They're bringing these really awesome young kids through. And I think at times that's why we've seen them struggle. But at the same time, I mean, if they make the eight, that is a hugely successful season for the Raiders. I know some people have a way higher opinion, like they should absolutely be a top six, top four side, but it does take time to bring some of these young kids through and the Raiders have a lot of them, a lot of really good young kids, even some who we've seen very little of, Albert Hopawate struggling to break into the side, James Schiller injured, look at what he did against the Melbourne Storm, you've got Trey Mooney who was outstanding in the under-19s origin, or was it under-21s? I think it was under-19s. Yeah, Trey Mooney is unreal. You've got some young guys who haven't even cracked the side yet. You've got Harry Rushton, young English bloke, who I think is injured for the rest of the season. Xavier Savage, who they're now giving the reins as the fullback. Matt Tomoko, who he wasn't a regular first grader, and he always looked like he was going to be a great talent. 
but Matt has definitely taken that next step. Then you've got someone like Seb Chris and the development of his career. So overall, I'm really happy with how the Raiders season has gone. And if they can make the eight, then that, that's a pass mark for me. I think that builds them nicely. They play some finals football. All the young guys I just mentioned, or at least the ones that are in the side, hopefully they pick up one or two games of finals experience and they can take that into next year because a lot of this team, very young, bright future ahead. And if they can make the eight this year, sets them up nicely. So pumped for this one. That's why it's the game of the round. There is animosity there as well. Although I think the media are hyping it. Like I did see a story. Is this the most bitter rivalry in the NRL? I was like, no, really? I wouldn't even have it in my top five off the top of my head. But apparently, apparently it is based on last year. If you cast your mind back, you may remember the Panthers boys were getting in the face of the Raiders, bringing them into celebrations. And there was this talk about Panthers arrogance and things like that. So look, there is going to be animosity there. I think it's going to be a very physical game. Finals-like atmosphere. And it's going to be a hell of a fun game to sit down and watch. But I don't think it's the most bitter rivalry. I also, I liked the Panthers boys and those celebrations. Like, to be honest, even though I was supporting the Raiders watching that game, I, I don't mind a bit of that. I'll be honest, I don't mind a bit of that. And like... You don't want kids, young kids, whatever, park footy level or junior level to be like, you know, indulging in too much of that stuff. But I don't mind it. If the Warriors were as good as the Panthers and they were doing that shit, I would honestly love it. I'd be like, lol. But yeah, I don't mind it. So maybe we'll see a bit of it on either side. I don't mind. I'll put that out there. Even if it's on the Raiders side, if someone scores a try... I would love to see them bring the opposition player into the celebration. Let's really, let's really get this game going. Maybe even a biff if we're feeling lucky. But back to the more realistic things about this preview. You've got Ricky Stewart, Ivan Cleary. That's going to be a great coaching battle. Fan of both of them as well. Obviously, Ivan Cleary, coach at the Warriors, took us to a grand final. But my key battle in this one... I've got the big boys up front, James Fisher-Harris and Moses Leota, up against Josh Papali'i, who has just declared his allegiance to Samoa for this upcoming World Cup, and Joseph Tarpanay. You'd have to say the best front rower in the world at the moment, at least on form. And if you were to argue against Tarpanay, like Payne Haas probably gets a mention, and the other man, James Fisher-Harris, who's not quite putting up the same numbers, but this guy is so integral to the Panthers' success. He is ruthless. I'm stoked that he's a Kiwi for World Cup time, and I am so keen, particularly for James Fisher-Harris and Joseph Tarpanay to go at it. But of course, Josh Papali'i, a legend, and Moses Leota, he's a gun himself. Played for the Kiwis as well in the test during that second origin, I think it was, in Auckland. So, look, there are three New Zealand internationals there and a Queensland Maroon in Papali, or Papali'i, my bad, who is now a Samoan international once again. So, look, a lot of international and rep-level flavour about this contest up front. So, key battle, the props. 
MVP, Jack Whiten. I think he has real potential to step up here. There's going to be a bit of a teething period, at least in my opinion, for Salmon and Sean O'Sullivan to work as a combination. And I think Jamal Fogarty, what he does really well as a halfback is he can control the ship, do a lot of the kicking, organize the side. And I think from there, Jack Whiten can play off the back of it. They've got their first choice halves, something they didn't have for the first four months of the season. And now the Panthers are missing their first choice halves. Big shakeup. I think Jack Whiten, after some really solid performances lately, I think he's my most valuable player here. And point of difference was exactly that. Raiders have their first choice halves. Panthers missing theirs. Might even dabble in a Jack Whiten anytime try. In my opinion, I'm cheering for the Raiders. And for the first time in a long time, I'm going against the Panthers. And this, this isn't really anti-Panthers. I'm not saying, whoa, they're about to fall off. I still think they'll win the season. I do believe that, or at least make the grand final. But the Raiders, this could be biased as well, because I'm cheering them on, I really want them to win. But I'm a, I'm a huge fan, like someone like Hudson Young, I'm imagining him ripping, absolutely ripping in this weekend. And yeah, I'm just going to go with the Canberra Raiders. And they're my second team, but I'm feeling it. I like the idea of an upset here, at least surely it's an upset. I mean, Panthers are never the favourites. But I have seen some people that do think the Raiders are going to win as well. So I'm not the only one out there saying it. But fuck it, I'm getting on board. I'm going to go with the Canberra Raiders. Very bold move to go against the Panthers. Never pays off. Hasn't paid off for me for the last three years. But I'm going to do it here. So I think maybe the Panthers win on the back of that. Because every time I pick Panthers, they win. Every time I pick against them, they win. They just always seem to win. But I'm going the Raiders, taking Raiders over the Panthers. That is the game of the round, and I cannot wait to sit down and enjoy that one. And that'll lead us in to another really crucial match for this round. Season on the line in the derby as the third-place Sharks host the 11th-place St. George Illawarra Dragons. Dragons losing this one and their season. I don't know about mathematically, but I'm going to call it officially over if they do not win, but if they do, who knows? Who knows? They're the least likely out of the side still in the running. But a win here, and we can reassess where they stand next week because they might be in a position to do something. We don't know, but this is it for them. Dragons absolutely need to win over their crosstown rivals in the Sharks. Going to be a tough one though, Sharks coming off that golden point win. Nico Hines, not just my MVP for that game, he was actually my X-Factor player of the round. Now, because I didn't watch the whole round in detail, I just looked through highlights and stats and stuff, I didn't do the Power Hour podcast because I was like, uh, I don't have heaps to go off when I haven't watched it. But Nico Hines was actually my X-Factor player of the entire round. And he stood up big time to get the Sharks over the line. As for the Dragons, look, you can't fault them here. They had the loss to the Cowboys, who were just such an unreal outfit this year. But now St. George find their season on life support. For Anthony Griffin, he's been the latest News Corp target. 
Although I found last few days they've actually definitely moved back on to Adam O'Brien. But Anthony Griffin, there is still plenty of heat on him. I wrote here that he was the latest pawn for clicks and reads and things like that. Um, but now it's Adam O'Brien, to be honest. The cycle moves quickly and they always want someone sacked. I don't know why. The media, there is never, other than maybe at the start of a season, there is never a season where everyone, it's like, okay, we've got 16 coaches, even these ones who are 15th, 16th, like, someone's got to come last, we're seeing some kind of like, maybe we stick with them for three years and give them a chance to build something, but no, literally always someone has to get fired, multiple people, and Anthony Griffin, look, he'll be... Breathing a little sigh of relief that Adam O'Brien's stealing a bit of that thunder, but I'm sure he would be empathetic as well, because look, all these coaches, except the ones like a Bellamy and things like that, and even them to an extent, they would understand totally what it feels like to just be this target of scrutiny. And yeah, I guess in this day and age, just easier to fire a coach than it is to fire several players and things like that. Onto the team news though, and off the topic of firing people. Will Kennedy out for five or six weeks? Cade Dykes, third generation rugby league footballer, making his debut. Son of Adam Dykes, who also played for the Sharks. And this kid Cade, there is male that he is a very, very quality talent. Which must, must be the case as well, given that they didn't pick Lockie Miller, who absolutely killed it at fullback in his one game for the Sharks this year. So Cade Dykes must be pretty good. Came to see how he goes at the back. And Royce Hunt is out with a shoulder injury. That sees Braden Hamlin-Ueli start and Braden Trindle joins the bench. For the Dragons, they have gone the same 17 that lost to the Cowboys. And I don't know about Moses Mbai at fullback. To be fair, like there are some headache... Uh, head scratches rather than headaches at the Dragons like the Tyrell Sloan thing and there is reason for a bit of concern around Anthony Griffin and around what's going on at the Dragons. I don't think enough to sack him I think he let the season play out but yeah I'm just I'm not sure he's gone for youth over x oh no sorry experience rather over x factor and youth and I, I'm interested I'm I like hindsight, so who knows? I'm going to wait till the end of the season, postseason review podcasts, to actually fully look at that. But yeah, Anthony Griffin and the Dragons going with the same 17 that were beaten convincingly. And for the Sharks, look, they're not like the Dragons. They aren't fighting for their finals hopes. They are in the third spot. They are right in the mix to finish in that top four, potentially top two as well. Huge moment for the Cronulla side. For the Dragons, they are two points behind 8th and ninth. So as I said, a loss here and season is over. They are four points behind Souths. Only five games to go. For Anthony Griffin, all that external pressure definitely makes your job significantly tougher. And for Craig Fitzgibbon, well, his era has begun. One year in and already... These guys are in the premiership race. That is very exciting if you're a Sharks fan. And even as a neutral fan of this one, 
that excites me. I wanted Craig Fitzgibbon at the Warriors. And yeah, the job he's done at the Sharks has been superb. So huge wrap on Craig Fitzgibbon. We all knew, or at least the talk was, that he was going to be an awesome coach. And he had the credentials and everything. But very impressive how he's actually translated that straight away over to Cronulla. My key battle in this one is also my most valuable player battle. Both the halfbacks, Nico Hines, the game winner last week, Ben Hunt, multiple time game winner. He is really coming into his own as a clutch superstar, marquee player, and so is Nico Hines. He is delivering value as the Sharks marquee player. Key battle in this one, most valuable players, Hines up against Hunt. And for my point of difference, I've gone C for Talakai. He's a wrecking ball. And I was just having a look. I was like, hmm, what is the point of difference? I think Talakai offers that. Expecting a big game from Sefer. Although derbies are unpredictable. Which is kind of funny or ironic because I'm about to make my prediction. So I guess it's not super unpredictable. But I have no idea what's actually going to play out in this one. We've seen plenty of times between these two where the side higher on the ladder actually loses the game. And both sides going to be fired up with so much to play for. I'm taking the Sharks though. As I said, Craig Fitzgibbon, hugely impressed with the success he has had in year one. I think the Dragons, this isn't the year for them to play finals. They haven't looked like a top eight side. At times, yes, they have, but they haven't had that consistent element, whereas Cronulla definitely have. So I'm going to take Cronulla Sharks in this one. I think they finish in the top four. And that is it for the Saturday action. What's next, you ask? Well, we check the calendar, and what comes after Saturday? Well, that would be the Sunday action. Two games remaining in round 21, and now we move on to Sunday footy in Bundaberg. That should be a lot of fun, with the rapidly improving 12th place Bulldogs taking on the away side, playing in their home state, for Cohen Hess, playing in his hometown, that will be the second-placed North Queensland Cowboys. Last up, the Bulldogs were way too good for a sorry Knights outfit, and the Dogs have wins in four of their past six games, with the only losses in that time having been against top eight opposition. For the Cowboys, they ran riot in the second half to secure their second win over the Dragons this season. And last time these two sides met, that was back in round one, and the Bulldogs got the win. Huge result, and if they win this weekend, that will be the first time they've won two games in a season over the Cowboys since 2009. Very interesting back in round one. Look, Bulldogs fans were optimistic at that point, getting the win six points to four, and who would have guessed that the Cowboys would be sitting in second space? I've been rolling with second space, uh, with space a little bit instead of place tonight. My bad. Uh, second place, 20 rounds later. What the Cowboys have done has just simply been incredible. Checking out the team news, Mick Potter has named the same 17 that beat the Knights. And for the Cowboys, Kyle Felt is going to be out for one or two games with a hamstring injury. So the Hammer, Hamaso, Tabuai Fado will come into the starting side on the wing. 
and we see veteran Jake Granville join the bench. Checking the talking points, well, Todd Payton, he is easily the favorite for coach of the year at the Dell M Awards. And look, if there was an interim coach of the year, that would most certainly be going to Mick Potter, who's also a Dell M winner. I believe has won more than one. I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong on that. He's won at least one, I believe, has Mick Potter. So no stranger to the Dell M's or Rothman's Medal or whatever it was called. And look, Bulldogs look like they have a very bright future. Cameron Sorelldo coming to the club, so it appears. And even if he doesn't, fuck it, sign Mick Potter up. Cowboys, though, they are not waiting for the future, although theirs is very bright as well. North Queensland are premiership contenders right now. Strike all over the park. Almost none more so than Jeremiah Nanai, who is a try-scoring sensation. And Cowboys, well, they're playing to hold on to that second spot on the ladder, or second space, I guess you could say, right? And look, a quarterfinal in Townsville. Week one of the finals being at home in Townsville would be a phenomenal advantage. Key battle for this one. I'm keen to see the Lock Fords go head-to-head. Tavita Pangai Jr. up against Jason Talmalolo. Both of them are going to have a big impact on this game, I'm feeling. With Jason having more consistency... But both, two of the most explosive forwards and players in the entire competition. Speaking of explosive, my most most valuable player in this one, I've gone Scott Drinkwater. I I think he's going to be in for a big game here. I've been really impressed with what I've seen from him. And he's still growing into that fullback role, which is where the Storm airmarked him and they felt was his best position. It's taken the Cowboys a little bit of time to work out exactly what their best lineup looks like. But now that they've figured it out, I think Scott Drinkwater, he's my MVP for this game. And my point of difference, Ruben Cotter. Huge fan of his, love that they're playing him in the middle. And I think he will genuinely be a really big point of difference in this game. And I'm expecting the dogs to pose a genuine challenge in this one. But overall, I'm going the Cowboys. They've got too much to play for. And the Cowboys have made me a believer this season. And I truly am very excited to see what they can do in this final series, especially if they finish second. So I'm going to take the Cowboys over the Bulldogs in the penultimate game of the round. And that leaves us with one. Only one more to jump into. And I'll just get straight into it, shall I? That is the last game of the round at Campbelltown. The 15th placed Tigers hosting the 14th placed Newcastle Knights, who are in absolute shambles, so so it seems. And the Tigers, well, they know a thing or two about shambles themselves. But they're pretty hot property, even though they're 15th on the ladder right now. They're playing hot football, and I actually see a way forward for them. I've said it all year. I think this was the year where they were really going to bottom out. And I hope so. And I hope Isaiah Papali'i goes to the Tigers, because I think that will make a massive difference, given that they've got RP Corusau, Dane Laurie really starting to come into his own as well. So for West Tigers fans, are the shambles starting to be put in the rearview mirror? Is this finally the way forward? They've got some great young players that Brett Kamali has brung in and given a go. They've got someone like Jackson Hastings, which I was very critical of the move to lock Ford, but it has made a massive difference. Really intrigued 
as to the Tigers' long-term prospects. And I've been ragging on them all year, talking mad shit. I don't think I've talked more shit about a side than the West Tigers this year. So I'm glad to see it. I, I actually don't have anything against them. They remind me of my own side, the Warriors. And also, they've given so many exciting highlights. You think the 2005 season, and even that stretch from after 2005, around 2008, 9, 10, where they had Benji and Farah really peaking. Look, Tigers were an awesome side, and we haven't seen them be that quality side. At that stage, even around 2010, 2011, they were premiership contenders. Like, there was that feeling, oh, the Tigers could win even if they're fifth or sixth. Whereas they haven't made finals, I think, since 2011. So it's good to see. Adam Dewey definitely seems to be the answer in the halves. And they're starting to perform with the shackles off. There was the North Queensland robbery. And the old Tigers, the Tigers we've known for a decade now, they would have come out against the Broncos on the weekend and just folded. They wouldn't have had that consistency after that result and the way it went down against the Cowboys to actually come back from adversity and perform like they did against the Broncos, where they blew out the Brisbane Broncos. So full credit to the Tigers. There has been no side, I guess, that I've written off more this season than the West Tigers. And I I've, want I've to see them do well. I want to see them prove me wrong. I'd love to see it. And I don't think I've been too harsh in my criticism. More like a lot of shit talk. Like the five captains earlier in the year, that was definitely something I kept going back to. And in the preseason predictions, I did say I think they're going to come last. But now, positive signs. I have... I do think they've bottomed out and next year they're going to be a lot better they may not make the eight but they'll be a lot higher on the ladder that's my belief and they might be one of those sides like the Cowboys this year or the Broncos who come out of nowhere and really surprise us so very interesting times for the Tigers also for the Knights no doubt four straight losses losses in six of their past seven games and we see David Clemmer dropped Clemmer dropped Looks like he could be gone next year. There's Adam O'Brien in all kinds of strife, which, to be honest, this is like... Again, I don't know. It seems like he's in he's in definite strife. And there have been criticisms. Like, I actually thought Adam O'Brien was going to be a great coach, and I'm sure he is, but, yeah, it's really interesting. It doesn't look like... I don't know. It just seems like there are fractures... And I try not to read into too much of the media stuff. But yeah, everything that's going on, it's it's not good. I'll put it that way. It's definitely not good. And Adam O'Brien is under massive pressure. There could potentially be a player revolt. There's the Dave Clemmer situation, which I read an article where it was like, this is what he said. And it was like, fucking cunt or something. And then they said that it was like every, well, like some staff were involved in texting and using those phrases, and they were like, what kind of culture is this if someone at the club says fuck and the C word? It's just like, come on, that's a stretch. That is a stretch. This is the NRL we're talking about. Players spray sideline officials, all the, or sideline, no, not sideline officials, bloody hell. Uh, they're fucking trainers and such all the time. So, yeah, I don't know what's going on here. That has me very concerned for the Newcastle Knights. 
and I'm interested to see how it plays out. I won't really make too many more comments, and let's see how this actually plays out. Hopefully he can turn it around. Interesting to see the Clemmer situation as well. Isn't that a can of worms? Looking at the team news, Clemmer, as I mentioned, dropped, but Bradman Best returns to the side, and for the Tigers, Fanua Pole moves into the 13 jersey with a huge loss, Jackson Hastings out for the season, and Tom Freeburn will make his debut, captain of the West's Magpies organization, I guess, or the team. Bloody hell. Uh, but yeah, he's making his debut, so congratulations to him. Also, I believe, spent time at the North Sydney Bears. And yeah, good, good on him. I like, I'm liking this Tigers thing, seeing guys get a go. It's just like, honestly, like, they hadn't been getting it done. It's, it's like, all right, well, let's chuck this young guy in. He's at least showing promising signs. Or, hey, let's chuck a Tom Freeburn in. He's, he's proven something. He's obviously working hard and been consistent at New South Wales Cup level. So, hell yeah, good on him. Now, talking points, big one, Adam O'Brien. Look, it's the last game of the round. I'm like, I can't go on a tangent now. It's such a big, big situation. So let's see how that one plays out. But for the Tigers, they are on the up. And apparently they've issued a hands-off warning. They want to keep Luke Brooks, which I actually don't mind. Maybe Brooks, Dewey, and Hastings at 13 is the answer. I've always said I'd love to see Luke Brooks go somewhere else. I think it could be best for all parties. But maybe, just maybe. I mean, with Tim Sheens, Benji Marshall, I actually don't mind the idea of Luke Brooks staying now and Adam Dewey. But Jock Madden, he is really turning some heads. I also would not be opposed to Luke Brooks getting a fresh start at, say, the Dolphins. Or, like, plenty of clubs will be keen on him. He will not struggle to find a home in the NRL. But I wouldn't mind at all if the Tigers went, hey, Jock Madden, we'll sign you for cheaper. Although that's presumably what they're going to do with Luke Brooks, is sign him on less money. So that makes a ton of sense. But Jock Madden, I think if they keep Brooks, a few clubs might be lining up for Jock Madden. He's gone really well every time he's been given a chance this year. On to the key battle... I've gone the Saifiti twins up against Joe Offahangawi and James Tarmow. Just given that, obviously, Clemmer out. So Saifiti twins, big task. Clemmer was getting through the most work of any player in that side this year. Now, a lot of that is going to have to be shouldered by the Saifiti boys. And then you've got Offahangawi and James Tarmow, who are trying to keep this Tigers side in great form. And I think it all starts up front with the platform you lay. So they will be hugely important in that key battle. MVP, I've gone Adam Dewey here. He has really taken his game to that next level since returning and been given that shot in the halves. And long term, it looks like the Tigers have their man. They're starting to, as I said, get out of that shambles era as well. So there's more chance now to be like, hey, why don't you stay? Like now... You were going to be a Tiger at our worst. Now you can't handle us at our potentially best. So it does make a ton of sense. I think Adam Dewey, it'd be awesome if they can keep him. He looks like a long-term part of the puzzle. And another part, I think as well, like when you say, Isaiah Papali'i, please, please come over, man. And you've already got Coruscant. And when it comes to attracting further talent, 
Well, my point of difference in this game, and also in that argument that the Tigers could finally start to become somewhat of a destination club, is Dane Laurie at fullback. He is really starting to show exactly why the Tigers wanted to get him over from the Panthers. He's living up to his potential, and as the Tigers start to lift, it's amazing how some of these talented players are doing the same. Dane Laurie, my point of difference. And I think, you know, as some of these players grow, like Dewey and Laurie, I think then they can attract some players, maybe like a middle forward or an edge forward, and be like, hey, Dane Laurie is pretty dope. He's pretty young. Adam Dewey, he's a fucking pretty good player, isn't he? So, yeah, I think it's really good times for the Tigers. They're in a good space. They can finally, in the next couple of years, especially with Sheens and someone like Benji Marshall, they can finally look at attracting some pieces of the puzzle that they need to become a finals contender. As for the Knights, they are far from it. They are not in a good space. And that's why I'm going the West Tigers. And I may have even done it if both of them were in a bad space or a good space. Because I found over the last few years, Tigers are a danger side for the Knights. And now Tigers are actually playing good. And Newcastle, I just don't know. It would have no doubt been a draining week for all of them. Who knows if the team and the coach are on the same uh, page. And for the Tigers, it doesn't even matter with Brett Kamali. And I think they are all on the same page at the Tigers. But even if they're not, they're just like, whatever. Tim, we've already got the coach signed for next year. And Noddy seems like a fucking a good bloke. I think he'd be a good coach. And these young boys would be loving it. Tom Freeburn would be like, Noddy, you are the man. Not only a New South Wales Blues origin representative, but also phenomenal coach. You've given some great young players a go. And now look at the Tigers. Good on Brett Kamali. Good on the Tigers. Time for me to have my positive Tigers moment. Potentially the first for the season. I'm taking the West Tigers over the Newcastle Knights. I think it's going to be a big clash. I am usually not so interested in a 15th versus 14th, but a lot of spice. Tigers, like very positive spice. And for the Knights, no, not positive spice. Negative spice and WTF spice and what is going on at the Newcastle Knights. That is why I must go with the Tigers. Feels good to finally say some good things about the West Tigers. Good on you boys at the Tigers and girls and the staff, everyone involved and fans, everyone. Good on your Tigers. That is it with that. It's good to finish on a positive note about the Tigers. There you go. What a what a difference. It's definitely the first time that's happened. I'll be back on Sunday to wrap up the round, including this phenomenal Tigers game. That'll be how I close out the podcast for the NRL Power Hour on Sunday. Who knows? Might even be some more very positive words about the Tigers for the Knights. Very keen to check in. As I said, it's a watch this space. I will literally watch that space. And I will be back on Sunday with the NRL Power Hour podcast, breaking down all the games in the round and highlighting some of the great performances, as well as some of the not so great, i.e. the cause for concern, which definitely at the moment heading into this round is the Newcastle Knights. And do not forget, if you are concerned, 
you can share your concerns with us over on our Instagram at not just a sports report. And yeah, that's that's all. So round 21 wrapped up. Sorry, outro is not my strong point. Working on that. What I'm also working on now is the NRL Power Hour podcast. So until the Power Hour podcast, that is it from me. And you'll hear from me on Sunday. Until then, take care and enjoy the footy.